RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Good morning. Welcome to Closing the Distance. I'm Jeff Myers, Senior Pastor here at Roswell Presbyterian Church, and it's a joy to have Kai Nielsen with us today, a Lutheran pastor in St. Paul, Minnesota, the author of Renew Your Life, Discovering the Wellspring of God's Energy, and I look forward to exploring a little bit some of the stories behind uh, this great book. Um, it was so fun. You know, I read it many years ago, Kai, when we became friends, and it was fun to kind of look back through and see uh, how I've kind of been nourished and flourished and impacted uh, by your work and ministry. You've worked in the local church, but you've also been very active in your leadership with Renovare, uh, which focuses in on spiritual formation. Uh, So thanks for being here with us today. Oh, love it. Yeah. And actually, Jeff, you remember, I think your spirituality of dog walking made the book. I think it did. It's the, (laughs) the one time I've ever been quoted. Thank you, Kai. (laughs) And thank you for being here. I hear you got a uh, 15 inches of snow there in St. Paul. Oh gosh. And it's, it's on time looking out at it right now. It's on top of what was about three feet already. So yeah, we all keep saying that this is the last one, but we know it's not. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, when you're ready to come visit Roswell, we've got a place for you to stay. So love it. I'd love it. Well, Kai, tell us a little bit about yourself and how God kind of brought you to St. Paul over the years. Uh, you know, I grew up in a Lutheran pastor's home, and there are five kids, four of us are Lutheran pastors. We took lots of different paths to get there, but uh, we're there. Um, and so my first call was in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, I was in Columbus, Ohio for 26 years after that. And and it's a huge discernment process. If, when you do something on discernment down the road, uh, bring me back, because, man, it was and it, good, bad, and not, you know, I mean, it's just a lot of work that went into that decision-making. Um, when's the right time to leave a place? When's the right time for you personally? When's the right time corporately? So, uh, but finally we said, you know, we had enough connections in the Twin Cities because I was uh, went to seminary here. We went to college not too far from here, had some family in the area, and we thought, you know what, maybe it's time for a new adventure. And so that's what brought us here uh, three and a half years ago. And then, of course, as everyone knows, COVID hit. So it has been absolutely like a hundred percent different than what we imagined but um and i've been leaning into my spiritual disciplines shall we say (laughs) yeah that is awesome yeah Yeah. one in your book in your fantastic book renew your life you begin the book with a story about hitting rock bottom and that your story has always served as kind of like a warning sign to me myself 
to say, don't end up like Kai. <laughs> <laughs> That's what awesome. Happened? What happened? You know, I think it was just, uh, and many people have experienced this. You get to the point where you're, you're just running hot and you've got a lot of good things. I mean, in my life, they were all good things. I'd started my D-Men program at Fuller. I'd uh, moved into a lead role in my congregation at the time. Uh, I was very well known in the community. So they were asking me to be involved in things. I mean, they were all good things. And I didn't quite figure out how to say no to them and have a limit around them. And so we also had four kids. And so my wife and I were trying to pull that, all of that off. And, um, and, and candidly, I mean, the, the spiritual part of it was that I'd convinced myself that pretty much I could do this on my own. You know, I'm a quick thinker. I'm, I keep myself in decent shape. I should be able to keep doing this. And I ran to the point where you know, the opening story is just sitting in a coffee shop with a good friend of mine. And, and he's telling me the story and I look at him and, and I just literally had one of those little balloon moments uh, while he's talking saying, I don't care. I, I don't care what you're telling me. I've heard this story before. Why, why do I have to sit here and listen to this again? So I'm a, I, I'm, I prided myself on being a compassionate person, right? And living with people in these situations. And I thought, I, I, I don't have the capacity to do this and to live into anyone else's story right now. And uh, so I called, and this is, the, this is actually, you'll appreciate this too, I think. I called my mom and dad. My dad's been a pastor at that point for 35 years. My mom's a writer and a very deep thinker. And so I'm just, mom, dad, you know, I need something. I figured they could provide me with an answer. And, um, and my, dad, my dad's response was, well, I think you're just going to have to muddle through this. I was like, come on. Literally, I said, dad, put mom on the phone. She'll tell me she loves me. Um, but uh, I knew that there was there was a shift. You know, I just I read it in my body. I read it in my interest for other people. And uh, something had it was I'm sure it wasn't as dramatic as one moment. And it had just been coming on for a long time. But that that was a pivotal moment for me where I just I just can't sustain this anymore. And so I had to start rethinking, you know, who I was going to be and how I was going to kind of live into that space where I was. So what what kind of practical changes did you make in terms of your spiritual practices, spirituality after that? You know, I think uh, honestly, the first one, Jeff, was uh, I began to just think differently about spirituality in general. So uh, Ortberg, John Ortberg had a, a fascinating little quote that said something like, you know, um, God's not interested in an abstract thing called your spiritual life. God's interested in your life. Oh. And I thought, aha, you know, and how often do we sort of make a separation between those two things? Yep. And so I do my spiritual things over here. I've got my quiet time. I go to worship. I serve somewhere. And that's that kind of my spiritual stuff I offer to God. And then I live over here and it's some, wait a second, you can't live disintegrated like that. I mean, it's literally disintegrated. And so how do I start integrating all of my life and say, all of it is a gift a that I've received and B that I can offer back to God, which meant for me that normal things that I would not have included in my spiritual life and disciplines Maybe I had to just start to rethink. Um, I'm a person who worked out, you know, consistently, and I kept that discipline at least going through. But 
instead of thinking about that as something other than my spiritual life, I started thinking about it more consciously when I'm there is, you know, if my body's not in decent shape, I can't do what God's asking me to do. So that's part of the work that God's been asking me to do rather than to think of it as an add-on, you know, mm. to, to my life. Um, I started thinking about conversations that I had and that those, those would be part of the spiritual life rather than separate. Um, I did have to, I'm an extrovert by nature. And so um, I, I kind of felt like I could live my spiritual life just in relationship with people, bouncing ideas off back and forth. And um, the thing that I probably learned the most was my need for quiet and to remove myself from the noise of the world and even, even good conversation to remove myself enough to actually be able to listen to my own voice and the voice of God versus voices that are around. I was, I was sort of a sucker for a new insight, you know, right. and, um, but then I was just sort of following, you know, that new insight and not making it sort of, is this kind of an important thing for me? Or is this, it's actually God asking me to think on this a little bit, or am I just kind of going, Hey, this sounds like a cool pursuit. Um, so that's when, for me, the, the internal life became way more, uh, important and and necessary to design into my life versus uh if if it happens it happens which is kind of where i was yeah with any more quiet prayer prior to that wow now was this like what did it look like like practically did you do was it in the morning was it in the evening was it in the study living room did you sit yeah. did you meal no good great questions um well, it certainly developed. Um, okay. The first first thing, uh, I, at the time, my house was chaos. I mean, four kids, a dog. You and know, I've met I some mean, of your kids. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it it couldn't be there for me. So you know, I I had the gift actually of being a part of a, a job in an office where I can actually design something in my office. So I actually developed a little space in my office with not an office chair, with a comfortable chair, with, you know, devotional books next to me. Uh, I'd light a candle there. I mean, I just started developing kind of layers of things that would get me into that space because I knew that I, I knew, A, if I didn't say when I, I was going to do it, I probably wouldn't do it. Um, if I waited till the right time, I probably wouldn't do it. And so like, like a lot of other things, I mean, they talk about them as spiritual disciplines because that's what they are. Like you've got to sort of, and that sounds like a negative word. I, that's one transition for me too. That's been helpful. Like discipline's not a negative word, you know, it can be if it's harsh and abusive, certainly, yeah. but it's just ordering your life in a certain way that you're saying what's important and what do you need to be able to be open to receive the spirit of God. And, um, so that's that's when it began to do. Okay, I've just got to put this like I I order. I started you know the old Stephen Covey system from way back when, mm -hmm. right? You know, you started putting things on calendars at certain time, and I became not afraid of putting in you know uh, an appointment with myself, you know, mm -hmm. and I'd name it different things, and people would say, "Hey, can we meet at this time every day?" And I said, "Well, no, actually, I can't meet until." half an hour later or something, yeah. you know, so it had to become that important for me um, to be able to 
design it into my life or else it wasn't going to have any effect over time. Right. And I love that what you said I, about how it developed and it changed over yeah. time. Cause I think a lot of us, we are given to like, if I find, if I find the correct way, I'm going to yeah. unlock the secrets of the universe. If I yeah. just, if it's, it's like, as if it's like wizardry or like some. Magic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, they, uh, I had a, friend of mine who was a member of my previous congregation who I met with one time and he was he was kind of trying to tell me how spiritual he was and he said man and I I'm listening to podcasts you know and I listen to other people's sermons during the week and I I do this I mean he's like like listing all of these things and I said um I finally stopped him because it hit me I said it it actually sounds like you're uh, like I have heard the same language in addicts right they can't, nothing is satisfying to them. So they have to go on and try to find that next hit of something. Yep. And, and I think we can be, it can become that way in our, we don't, we don't trust anything to develop over time and deeply. And so if it, we do something for a short period of time and go, oh, that doesn't work. Like we say that I use that language a lot or other people do what well, hasn't, doesn't work for me. Right. Um, but that's the, think it's one of the big things about the spiritual life is putting in a framework of your whole life mm -hmm. and making just kind of just thinking through a long arc and it doesn't nothing has to be the same all the time forever but but we do have to sort of make a commitment to say let's live into this for a certain period of time before I make a decision about whether it's quote working for me or not right because um, I do think that there are times when something you know i've had times when i i just cannot do my verbal prayer lists right yep. i mean they just they whatever's going on in my life they seem so mundane i'm thinking god knows this anyway what's my what's the point <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. but there'll be a point when i re-engage that you know and it and it feels more healthy and more alive and i'm i'm ready for it again so you have to be willing to make adaptation as needed, but I think you also have to be willing to think what's what's kind of how does this play out in the long term, and what am I willing to do to say I just need to put myself in a place where the spirit of God can work into my life. That's all these exercises are. They're not magic. They're not. Uh, they're not the be all and end all. Mm -hmm. I mean, if someone says, "Hey, I've got, I do, I pray sixty minutes every day," I go cool why are you still a jerk you know <laughs> you know because it's not just the exercise that's we're not ticking off boxes for god right so um yeah i think for me it's just saying okay how do if there's something in my life that i need to work toward what's going to be a pathway for me to make connection with that and that's what i think the spiritual disciplines are all about i've now, one, I'll add one more thing, and then I'd like to hear from you too, because I think you're in a context that's similar to mine. Mm -hmm. I think that there are spiritual exercises that sort of uh, become more important based on a people and or communities that you're part of. Okay. And so I think I I think of especially I've I've worked in two kind of suburban communities uh, the last my last two calls, and and here are the things that have seemed to be most formative in that those experiences one is uh having people serve right because what does serving do serving as a spiritual discipline takes you outside of yourself right, right. so there's a point where you say I, i'm this is not just for me anymore 
So serving is a critical piece because it moves people out of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving, you know, in relatively wealthy communities, I mean, if that that has a hold on people's lives. And if that peace can be freed from them, uh, I think so much more gets that generosity just spills over into so many other things. So I think serving, giving, and then then for me, and I think it's more and more the case, um, that whole sense of quiet, centering prayer, um, being away uh, is critical because there's just too much noise in the world. And there's too much chaos that happens in people's lives. Uh, every single day. And so if we're going to hear, it's just like basic, like you can't hear anything if there's too much noise. You sit in a crowded restaurant, you can barely hear the person next to you. You know, if all that's going on in your head while you're trying to listen to God, (laughs) you can't hear anything, you know? Oh, totally. I totally get that. And artists, what did uh, David Foster Wallace, the great fiction, nonfiction Uh, writer, called it total noise. Capital T, capital N, total noise. Uh, I'm to, I believe it. And it's all the yeah. beeps and buzzings yep. and things that overwhelm us. And, and you know, yesterday we, we talked about meditation and the spiritual practice of meditation. Huh. Yeah. And quieting everything down, finding silence, quieting our minds down. And that's yeah. hard work. Hard work. Hard A work. A woman goes, well, I can't do that. I <laughs> I I can barely pay attention for 10 seconds. (laughs) And I think that's, that's really scary. Yeah. Cause, and so when we, and you know, you brought up the word discipline. I, I, I like the word discipline with that positive connotation. I think some people refer to spiritual practices. Yeah. And I always think of like the athlete, right? Like if I, you know, I love basketball. Well, why am I not a better basketball player? Well, how much time are you, are you working on your jump shot? You know, exactly. are you, you know, are you lifting weights? Right. You know, it's like, it's like, why can't I have a guitar solo like Jimi Hendrix? Right? <laughs> well, how much have you practiced? Yeah. How much have you, and I think some of us act like the spiritual life is, you know, is, um, is, is magic or, you know, yeah. or we don't need to attend to it. And yeah. I think these disciplines help us attend to it and to open ourselves up so that we can see God and hear God at work. Yeah, yeah. Because really that's, that's, I love that, Jeff. That's all you're doing is get it, putting yourself in a place with these spiritual exercises, practices, disciplines, whatever you want to call them, where the spirit of God can speak more deeply into your life. That's all you're doing. You're just kind of putting yourself in that place. And uh, I, I have a little phrase that I developed for myself over the years that just says simply this, what we uh, what we focus on and do is what we become. Okay. So if you think about what you focus on, it means what are the what are the thoughts, what are the inputs and in communication that you have uh, throughout the day? What do you spend your time thinking about? You know, what are you motivated by? So what you focus on, but then also what you do, mm-hmm. because I think once you have to sort of wrap your body up into it too. Yep. And and then it becomes repetitive. And what it just like your athlete uh, connection, mm-hmm. you, you don't develop anything that's going to be a value over time that you do sporadically. Right. And so it just has to be uh, kind of a, a consistent immersion over time. And so what you focus your mind on and the beauty of that is that you have choice, right? I mean, you can you can choose 
what you want to, you know, if I wanted to read a certain thing, or if I wanted to uh, watch a certain thing, or if I want, you know, you have choice, not all parts of your day, depending on whether you're working or at home or whatever it is. But for good amount of us, we have a choice about what we can do with portions of our day to say what's going to be the input that we receive. And then what you, you have also have a choice about what you do. And so, yeah, so ultimately that, that will, that shapes you and that's what you become over time. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So we're focusing in on meditation. Oh, I'm interested. Okay. So Pastor Kai. Okay. (laughs) You know, what, what kind of advice would you give a novice, somebody who's never Hmm. meditated, never done centering prayer, they're new to the game and they're interested, they're curious. What kind of advice would you give really practically about beginning a practice like that? Yeah. Uh, I would say allow yourself a lot of grace at the beginning because it won't, it won't feel natural. Probably it won't be, uh, in your mind, you won't think it's productive time for a while. And so just to kind of allow yourself the grace of that, like, and, and, and give up like outcomes or expertise. Like I'm not developing competence in this, you know, I'm just doing it. I'm just giving it, uh, God, a chance to speak into this. So a, I think that that's a, that's a critical piece to allow yourself the grace of that. Second, I, you know, again, as I said earlier, uh, design something or uh, part of your day to allow for you to start working with it. Start small, actually. Don't think you're going to be a wizard within, you know, uh, I'm going to be doing 30 minutes of deep meditation within a week. You're not. You just won't. So um, just relieve yourself of that responsibility. And and also, I think there's a place, there's something about place that's critical. So if you can if there is any way to, and I, people's circumstances are very different in regard to this, where you can design a place where, um, like I'm in my downstairs office right now, and I just happen to look past my computer screen, and there's a cardinal out there, you know, and it's it's just fantastically beautiful, right? Yeah. And so it, this is a place where I get to notice more because there's not a lot of other. Uh, chaos and noise going on so and that's what you're doing you're just trying to notice more about what's happening in the world and what god might be saying to you so those three things so find a you know give yourself some grace find yourself a time find yourself a place start slow mm-hmm. um I, for me the, the the probably the easiest uh, entree into it rather than just thinking about being quiet because i couldn't I couldn't stop whatever else was happening in my mind for a long time um, was to do a thing that, and you had mentioned it once sometime down the road, uh, what we call the breath prayer. And that's sort of a uh, consistent discipline that a lot of people use. Um, But what that does for me is it gives me something to focus on because then again, when you focus on something, then that's it. It's less likely that other things would then like, if I just said, let's be quiet for now, I mean, everything that you happened 10 minutes ago is coming back into your mind. Everything you should be doing is coming into your mind. Everything you want to be doing tonight is coming into your mind. But at least with a a breath prayer or or activities like that, Mm -hmm. um, it does allow you some sense of of focus. How are you going to focus in on that? Um, 
for me, the breath prayer, it's the one I started to do early on when I started meeting with the spiritual director and they just mm -hmm. said, all right, you got to focus in on something. And, and it's a very easy process. It would it be okay if I just like showed you what I do, you know, yeah. I mean, I won't spend a lot of time with it, but just to kind of tell you what it's all you do is simply kind of connect a few words with your breath. Mm -hmm. And so as you breathe in, you just say to yourself, breath of God. And so breath of God reminds you of uh, the God who created the universe, the God who breathed life into the first human beings, the Jesus after the resurrection who breathed life into his frightened disciples in that upper room. Yeah. You know, life comes at you through your breath, right? And so you breathe in, you say breath of God, and then you can attach anything else to that that might you might be working on. So the, where the title of my book came is that one of the things I would do is I would often say, breath of God, renew my life, you know, so you exhale and you attach a few more words to it. And then you just do it for as many times you can breath of God, renew my life, breath of God, renew my life, breath of God, renew my life. Wow. And you just kind of, it's, it starts to just slow you down, you know, and um, I would just give yourself a couple minutes right away, uh, expand it out. Um, if it's, you know, could be something, maybe you're dealing with uh, not knowing what to do in a relationship, you know, so breath of God, help me love, breath of God, help me love, breath of God, forgive my sins, breath, you know, whatever you want to attach to it in regard to what you might need at a given time, uh, there's a way to do that. So that was a great starter for me in regard to becoming more centered and quiet and, um, yeah. Yeah. I yes, yeah, it's funny you bring up uh the breath or breathing prayer. And I remember, golly, I can't remember if this was in Houston or this was up in the mountains mm. like North Carolina, that you were leading one of those workshops and you had us just do a breathing prayer practice all together. Yeah. And it was a profound experience to like just yeah. be totally quiet and focus on yeah. your breath and everybody's doing that together. That was yeah. a really profound um, spiritual experience for me. Yeah, uh, it's it's. I think it's again, it's uh, it's an open door into a, a part of the deeper life. And I think with people, anyone who kind of struggles with uh, a mind that's so confused or so filled and or feels so chaotic with so many demands, that's probably like one of the key disciplines to at least begin to start doing it because you're what you're doing is is saying hey i just need to create some space here um uh, yeah i love it well we're gonna be wrapping up here in a sec but i, I want to ask you, you're a man you, i mean you mentioned you have four kids and one of the things <laughs> i'm thinking about a lot is just like what you know what is the world that our kids are are growing up in um yeah. that we're handing off to them and like, yeah. what kind of challenges do you see and what opportunities maybe we have? Um, and how can the church foster and take care of our young people? Yeah. Wow. That's a huge question, isn't it? Uh, um, well, a couple of things. One, gosh, I just read a report recently on, on this, the mental and emotional state of teenage girls. And it is frightening. Yeah. It's absolutely frightening. Middle school, high school, just devastating. 
And so much has to do with uh, their image of themselves. So much has to do with the pressure that they feel to be something that they're not. Um, I, I, so I, I think, gosh, you know, it's great to throw out a bogeyman, social media, da, 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 da. But I think that the underside of the, the flip side of that from a church perspective is just what's going to be the consistent message that we tell our kids? Mm. What is, what's just going to be the thing that they, they will not leave our place until they've heard this at least, or until they've experienced this at least one time. Um, we just had a, a girl who was uh, brought into a place for suicidal ideation this last week, actually. And the, the only small thing that provided anyone any comfort was that she just, she loved to be uh, at church. Mm. Like that was, because for her, unfortunately, it was like the only place where she got this message that no matter who you are, no matter what's happening in your life, you are loved. So I think that's a, that's a huge thing in our world. Um, I think our, I think our kids are, can be way more idealistic and they want the world to change than we, we've sort of allowed them to, because we've been in my tradition too, in the Lutheran tradition, we've been so wrapped up in getting them to believe the right things about what it means to be a Lutheran. <laughs> and uh, and that's that's just becoming less and less important. And But they do see how destructive the world can be um, to them and to their friends, especially if their friends are of a different ethnicity or if they're of a different uh, orientation or creed or something. You know, they're, that's their friends. There's they're seeing a world and experiencing a world that's far bigger than the churches that I've served, you know, that they've grown up in. And, and they, they don't want their church, their church community to somehow feel like it's in opposition to what they're experiencing in the world uh, out there. Um, so that's, that's a big challenge for us, yeah. you know, as leaders of, of faith communities, but it's, um, and, I, I've got a small perspective, right? Think about it. I'm a I'm a white guy in you know Columbus, Ohio, and St. Paul, Minnesota for my raising my kids times, but um, but it's but it's really important. I think yep. you know the the image. I keep I keep saying to my communities now that there's an expansive God that just goes beyond what we can imagine. There's an expansive God that goes beyond what we have imagined. So um, let's let's connect ourselves to that not be hyper judgmental about you know which creating the right pathway for them to be on um because there's god's working in ways well beyond what we can imagine i think at this point and um wow so well ah just a few things i don't know it's hard <laughs> it's hard man and i you got two young kids that's your next book man that's your next way to go <laughs> no i'm i'm thinking about you with your two young kids man it's um yeah, yeah, bless you. We're taking it you. day by day, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and Courtney, it's a big, it's big work. It's a, it's a it huge work indeed. and very it's important. Awesome talking to you. So, uh, we focus on meditation this week. Next week, we're going to look at the theme of prayer. Obviously, centering oh. prayer meditation is yeah. kind of a subset of prayer. But we're yep. going to talk to uh, the theologian Kyle Strobel oh. uh, from Biola, uh, awesome. you know, School of Theology. Uh, what do you, are there any questions you think we should ask him? Uh, at, you know, most people in my congregation want him to know, uh, the simple question is how does prayer work? 
Because mm. I mean, they because they want they want to be able to do something right, and they <laughs> they've maybe been conditioned or trained to do it in whatever level. But they're like, how does what does that mean then if the the very stuff that I pray for never seems to materialize? And um, does that mean God doesn't is not there? Does it mean I'm not there? It mean you know what is it? What does yeah. that all that mean? So yeah. Well, Kyle's a smart and then guys. and then post and then post it because I want to hear his response. <laughs> oh, we're definitely going to post <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Well, Kai, this has been an awesome time. Thank you for closing the distance with us. Thank it's so you. good to see your face, hear your voice. Uh, for those who are listening, remember you can tune in every Monday on Facebook Live at noon. We'll be having these conversations all through Lent, and then we'll be posting the audio on our podcast feed. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Kai, take care. We'll see you soon, awesome. brother. Awesome. Doing good work, Jeff. Thanks, man. Appreciate you.